Take a minute for me to have my little post-mass snack. We had a longer mass today because we've left all the oils yes. for the year. That's the first time I've ever seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't <laughs> done for a while. Oh. Now I know I think we're going to establish it there on Monday, Thursday morning like that. That was you. Being close to the action. What's that? I said I like being close to the action. <laughs> on the right hand, not the left. <laughs> yes, yes. Is it the US and 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 the All right, let's pray. Blessed Lord is called the Holy Scriptures written for our learning. 
grant to me in such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of that holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're finishing up our letters to the churches today. And um, before we just jump in and do these two, what kinds of things have we learned from reading through these letters? And how might they apply to where we are now? Get some things right. And they're getting some things, they're off. So it's just a mixed match. There's the Holy Spirit still working through them, but they're off on a bunch of things. And and what kinds of things is, is the risen Christ happy with in the churches? They exhibit a, a manifestation of love. Um, that seems to be a big thing. <laughs> because um, I'm just looking at them, the, the one church that got threatened with its lampstand taken away um, was the one that was theologically very right but had left its first love. So um, it, it does not at all to suggest that that um, leaving the right things is wrong it, 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 or not important. It means that there has to be a harmony between doctrine and practice and the, that, that the truly believing the right things will naturally issue forth into the practice of sacrificial love. As, as we um, got in our morning prayer gospel today, the new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so experiencing the love of Christ, the sacrifice, his death for us, and then experiencing his coming to each of us you know, in our state of sin, we forgive us, and we keep coming back every week, and then every Lent to make another confession, realize, yeah, about that, and they're still there. So somehow that that love we experience must translate into our new behavior towards others, and. I think what happens with with what you might call doctrinal fundamentalism, that is, where we're just all, we, all concerned about believing the right things and not the other, is often that kind of thing can psychologically work as a way that people avoid looking at themselves. And I, I've noticed that in, um, I don't mean 
right churches, if we should believe the right thing, and we're hardly advocating here for any laxity in, you know, belief about who Jesus is or anything like that. But some, there are, I've noticed a tendency that to focus on, you know, to always look, you, you know, you don't believe that to, to be the right way. And if you don't believe that the right way, this is, this is the, um, to, it, it, it also is entirely a faith that's rooted from in the neck up. It's, it's, I mean, actually, biblically, the heart is not really like here, and the, the, or it's our whole thing. But the, but the idea that a faith has, um, it's interesting that in our, in our lesson from morning prayer from Jeremiah this morning, uh, a new uh, command, a new, uh, I'll make a new covenant, and I'll, I'll take the law and I'll write it on their minds and on their hearts, so that. Um, The reality of Christ has to touch everything, what we believe and how we behave, and we can't cut it off. We can't go the other way either, Just which is more the cultural error, is that you know it doesn't really matter what you believe unless you just love each other. The problem with that is if you jettison the eternally begotten Son of God who became man and died for us, <clears throat> you don't know how to love, that you love one another as I have loved you. If, if you... If you try to love one another and forget the as I have loved you, you're not going to have the the power of the spirit in the example of how to love. So they always have to be be, be merged like that. So it, it's, it's, we just see that God, God what, what is it, God doesn't seem to, or Jesus doesn't seem to be too impressed with um, what it, things appear to be. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And he doesn't seem to be bothered that a church is small and struggling if it's fervent in its faith and is loving in all the ways it can. <clears throat> so this sometimes flies in the face of what we look at in our culture. And I, I just think if we, if we try to figure out what Jesus is saying, it's never a bad idea to cycle back through these letters. Actually dictated letters from the risen Christ to seven churches that have a timeless thing and you realize because he doesn't you know we'll say oh yeah well God doesn't matter that doesn't matter so much you're doing that thing you know just as long as you love God well let's see what let's see what Jesus said to the angel about church about Jezebel and, you know and about Balaam and, and that kind of stuff it's like oh it doesn't seem to match that exactly so it, it is one reason that we always want to match what we think God is saying to us with harmony, you know, in harmony with what we know that he has said. So um, it's worthy of looking at things in that way. So let's look at our, our letters today. And um, we're at verse 7. So, up, we're at Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, 
These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know, let's go two verses, kind of one package. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, this open door, first of all, um, to understand this passage, we need to look at um, Isaiah 22 and more than just understand that that is, um, you know, what he's quoting, but look at the context. This is actually something in your Bible study that sometimes you'll get, you know, a quote and we'll say, oh, that's from Isaiah or that's from this. And it's like, I don't think I'll ever be able to do well, no, what, what I'm saying is, like, when you discover there's a quote, like like Peter's sermon on Pentecost to make some quotes, you know, he might quote a verse, but to understand what the verse really means, you have to go back and read the entire context of the verse, and then you'll understand how, what the application is, and this is sometimes the problem even in in our faith, if we take a verse out of its context, so... Let's look at Isaiah uh, chapter 22. Let me uh, read um, let me go let, let me read an extended um, passage and thus it from Isaiah 22:15 it says, "Thus says the Lord God of hosts." And don't if you don't know who these people are, it's okay. We'll, we'll just I don't know who they are actually either. I, I, but it makes a it makes a point that we can explain. So stay, stick with me. I'll just read it. Go proceed to the steward to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, What have you here, and whom have you here, that you have hewn a sepulcher here? as he who hews himself a sepulcher on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and he will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die, and there your glorious chariots should be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office, and from your position he will put you down. Then it shall be in that day that I shall call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his, his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, and no one shall shut, and he shall shut, and no one shall open. And I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, 
and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. So, uh, so um, going back now to our context, but but let's reflect on for a second. So there was a steward here, Shebna. We don't know what it is. We know he was a steward who had responsibility, to whom had been given responsibility to oversee the house. He has not been faithful. And Isaiah says, I'm going to throw you out into a, another country. It's not going to go very well for you. I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to give it to this other dude. And I'm going to give him the key of David. And he's going to shut, and no one's going to open, open, no one shuts. So now when we come to chapter to, to Philadelphia in chapter 3, um, so we should probably read the next, the next line then. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So we've encountered this synagogue of Satan thing. What, 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 does that, what is that about? In John's writings. Where did we encounter this in John's gospel? When Jesus claimed to be, uh, when they, they said that uh, Abraham is our father, and he said, no, you know, your father is the father of lies. Is the, yeah, your father is the devil. devil. This, yeah. this is in John 8:44. Jesus told his Jewish adversaries that they that that they were of their father, the devil. Now we've we've tra- we've we've um, made a trip here from Jerusalem to Asia Minor, but here is a synagogue that in which and this this is the very important thing to understand about the preaching of the gospel. So the gospel has come to this city. Likely was preached in the synagogue. Jesus is Lord. That has been rejected by the synagogue. And those who follow Jesus as Lord are now the church. And they're being persecuted by the synagogue. A... pattern that looks remarkably like the gospel. The 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 the, the, the Jewish community in place persecuting the Christian community in place, bearing in mind that many of the early Christians in Philadelphia were Jewish. So it's not anything about ethnic anti Semitism. It's about what you think about Jesus. And once the truth has been proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, and you violently opposed it, you now are no longer the place where, and God is, and in, in the context of this key of David, the stewardship that you once had as the place where God's covenant was com- committed to you is being taken away from you and given to this to, the, to, to, to those who believe in the Messiah. And so um, you now will um, hold the key in which you will open the door to others to come in. And, the, and, and this is actually um, 
something Jesus said to the apostles, right? He said to Peter, but he also said to all of them, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, which means the apostolic community and its discipline defined the people of God. And if you rejected the preached message, you found yourself outside. And so while it looks as though in Philadelphia, the synagogue, which is powerful locally and has a social standing and is kicked the Christians out so they can't come in and they told them they're no longer part of the people of God, Jesus, the risen Christ, saying, no, this is, this is not right. You who've been kicked out, who are meeting wherever you're meeting under persecution, you have a little strength, but you've been faithful and kept my name. No, you have the key. I'm laying the key on your shoulder. I'm giving you the key of the key of David, and you will shut, and no one open, and open, and no one shut. And I've set an open door before you, which means I've provided a way for you to enter the kingdom. Sometimes this has been interpreted as a door of mission opportunity, but I think if we really look at it in context, it really is more a door of entry into the kingdom because there's not much mission opportunity when you're holding on for dear life, being persecuted by all the powers that be. Um, and an image here I want that, that comes out in these letters, because when we get later on in Revelation to the um, this figure called the Whore of Babylon in Revelation 18, um, he sits on the back of the beast. And the beast is pretty clearly Rome. We'll get to that when we get to it. So, what we have in John in general from the gospel here is that the opposition to Jesus was in general a conspiratorial alliance between Rome and the Jewish leadership, who together sentenced him to death. And in the local setting here in Philadelphia, the synagogue exists because they had a privileged place in the Roman Empire to be exempted from cultic worship. And so when it, when it persecuted someone, it would use public authority to help them oppose Christians. The woman, unfaithful woman, on the back of a beast. So just see how that, um, that image is consistent and, and we begin to see it here. And that's how Revelation begins to make sense. We get our we understand what's really happening. And again, I want to be clear, this, the, the, um, the synagogue of Satan, there is no inherent anti-Semitism in this. Most of the early Christians are Jewish. But, but the incarnation of the Son of God and the proclamation of the gospel separates people on basis not of ethnicity, but on faith in Jesus Christ. That's the new people of God. They're defined by whether you, you believe in him or not. And and that's and so that's how that's how something that looks one way becomes another way. It's also in general the the, the idea of the synagogue of Satan, um, because it's easy to point and in fact um, 
some of this language did lead to some historical anti-Semitism and did lead Christians in some places to treat Jewish people very badly. Um, with, you know, they weren't treated very well in the Spanish Inquisition, for one, for one but other than that. Uh, and, um, yeah, there were, there, yeah, there were, yeah, that there were, yeah, there, 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 it just wasn't, so we have to be thoughtful here. Um, that the fact that the risen Christ calls a collection of um, first century, what we might think of as Orthodox Jews who violently opposed the church and persecuted the synagogue of Satan, does not mean that every Jewish person ever subsequently who doesn't know Jesus has the same level of culpability and, 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 and that kind of thing. It also can, can mean it, it is, is inherently a danger of, of, of an organized community because the church can also call itself Christian but can operate in such a way that it really isn't believing in the risen Christ and really isn't in, in promoting things that... Um, and so one of the interesting things about the, 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 the letters to the churches is especially the allusions to, to Jezebel and unfaithfulness and Balaam, which was the counsel of women to be unfaithful uh, or men to be unfaithful with, with, with uh, pagan women, um, is that it hints that Israel in the Old Testament was, was called an unfaithful woman. When we get Revelation 18, we'll look at extended passages that make this identity. But at the end of the Old Testament, um, God calls that unfaithful woman back to himself. Um, the, the prophet Hosea is a, pro, is a prime example who married a, a woman who became unfaithful, and then God told Hosea to go buy her back. So the old covenant people who had not kept the covenant and were judged were given a, a chance to repent and come back. That is the preaching of the gospel. But when they finally reject the Lord himself, there is no more opportunity for the old covenant people as the old covenant people per se. What God will do later with, 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 with is something that we'll see. Um, but the warnings to the churches is that the warnings that it's, the point is the warnings that used to go to Old Testament Israel and the covenant now are transferred into the church. Don't do this. Don't be unfaithful because it's still it's the bride whose unfaithfulness inches towards that image of unfaithfulness. The whore of Babylon in Revelation in 18 is going to be the finished the the completed unfaithfulness of the old covenant people. But the new but and the other thing about the new covenant people that's made evident in these letters is there's not one judgment because just as we talked about how the menorah the the seven full candlestick which is which in the old was one thing so when most of the prophetic messages we'll hear in the Old Testament are pretty much a unified message you've been unfaithful you've done this repent. But here, it's not a unified message. 
hey, there's some of you doing this. Hey, and there's this woman Jezebel you're, t- you're tolerating. So the church is now seven distinct units, each, each part of which might su- su- suffer a different judgment. That candlestick might move away. This might be judged. So the implication here is the church is a much uh, broader phenomenon that has um, even um, distinct existences bound together by the presence of Christ walking through it. And so there's not just one over, and that's one of the problems that we even get when we, you know, there might be some criticism about, oh, you Christians. Well, there's a lot of us, so let's let's kind of target what you're saying about that, you know, that that, that some are guilty of this and some are guilty of that, but it, and it might look a lot like what you see in the message of the churches. The key is to be amongst the faithful who are holding on faithfully and not among the people who look like they're alive but they're dead or the ones who are compromising with Jezebel or participating in the sin of Balaam that kind of thing. England, they have over the last decade or so, they've been selling churches and closing their doors and selling these churches right and left. All these other people, as soon as building, or open or closed or remain. Feeling kind of crappy about being done by the synagogue, the old Jews, I guess. If the Lord coming back was the end of the old covenant, the old synagogue ways are abandoned. You have an empty building that needs to be filled. Immediately would be filled by evil. It's all good. It's moved on. There are things God's gone from that structure. Synagogue that door which they thought was closed to them was actually closed by the Lord you can't go back in there and not there anymore. so the door that was also closed from them was also closed they used it right right well I mean it's 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 a um Again, John is very clear about this one in this Johannine liturgy that, that the, the New Covenant people is redefined by Jesus Christ, who fulfills the temple, the priesthood, and everything. And so you become part of the New Covenant people of God by faith in the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ. And apart from that, you're not part of the covenant people of God. You might be someone who potentially becomes that doesn't mean that Descendants of you know Jewish people can't come to faith. It does mean that the old covenant Torah is no longer the way that God makes puts people in covenant relationship with himself. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I was kind of getting at. It's like it's the old it's not moving on forward. In, now, in yeah, so and, and I also want to be careful here because you know we know what we know, we don't, we know, we know. doesn't we have to go around judging everybody, which is fundamentalism, you're going to hell, you're doing this. We'll let Jesus sort it out. But no one's going to the Father except through him. If there's some way he's working and they come to the Father, great. But but we, but we the whole idea that, you know, that sometimes surfaces in very modern Christianity that, well, 
you know, the Jews have their way to God, we have our way to God, and the Muslims have their way to God is, is entire hogwash in the light of the New Testament. It's just not what it says. So you can believe that, but that's not Christianity. That's just that's just something someone made up because they don't want to they don't want to face the, the the difficulty of saying, well, not Jesus is Lord. Everyone thinks they're candles. So, um, so we can hold on to the the fact and proclamation that Jesus is Lord without and and no one comes to the Father but through Him without engaging the secondary level of judging all those who visibly don't seem to and like we know who's in who's where God we don't know what God is doing but the proclamation is that Jesus is Lord and not that well hey you know you believe in God some way so that's good for you Bishop yes I am puzzling and have most of my life over a truly uh, a godly Jew, if you will, someone who not is just culturally Jewish or, you know, once in a while on the holy, high holy days, but somebody who is really, really devout. Don't you think that their Old Testament prophecies at some point, if they are really, really seeking the truth always and praying to Yahweh, that their eyes might be opened by some of those passages? If, if they have an opportunity to speak to a Christian lovingly? One certainly hopes so. But, and, and prays so, as we will pray on Good Friday for the conversion. Right. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's, we, we want that to happen, yes. But do you think that godly Jews do hold a special place still in God's heart? You know that he's yearning for their fulfillment, or or do you think they are just as you say, along with the Hindus, Buddhists, and everyone else? In yeah. error. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I I I don't I don't feel like I want to make, you know, I I don't want to make pronouncements about um about how people stand because I don't know. I hope. Yeah come to faith and uh, certainly for, for the sort of um, larger good of culture it's good when people observe some moral boundaries and believe in something yeah so that's a good thing um, but th that's it's a good question that's a question for a cup of coffee or a beer and <laughs> but uh, but the the point I'm making is that it's that's it's you know the the, the clear thing is that that it is it is the person of Jesus Christ and faith in Him that defines the the, covenant, the new covenant people of God. Thank you. And I, again, my, my my point because a lot of times when you get into the the you know, when you when you face the the starkness of the of the truth here, it can lead to a judgmental attitude towards everybody, and I don't think those go together necessarily. Firmness and belief this is true. We are to those outside ambassadors. Um, obviously, if people outside um, 
are hostile. There's a certain reality to that that's problematic. But even then, Father, forgive them for not what they do. Even then, we should pray for those who oppose us. We're witnesses. We want people to be saved. We will trust God's judgment because we aren't so comfortable with our own if we're self-aware. Yeah, so there we are. So back then to, and again, what they have is, I know your works. And this is a recurring phrase, and it's something I think that we really need to take to heart, that God knows what we're doing. See, yeah, I'm doing all of a sudden, no one, I don't feel that. No, your works. See it. And you have a little strength. You've kept my word and not denied my name. That's a good thing in this passage. Not a big popular community, but faithful. Make those who say they are Jews but are not, make them come down and worship before you feet, that you may know that I am loved. This is an echo of a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 14 and 15. Where Isaiah writes, The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. So when he says, I'll make them come down and worship. And and this is the idea that that, that, um, there's a lot of images here pertaining to our rule with Christ, our sharing in that. So people, uh, we have, and, and so, the, the point here is that the current appearance of things is going to change. Somebody said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And so it's the encouragement for us to remember that ordinary and humble faithfulness counts. And God knows it. And it has its long-term reward of of things. And the temptation is always to abandon that because it doesn't seem to be working. And and to forget that God sees and knows. And to know that I have loved you, which means to say when people come down, they'll know that, that you are my chosen. Verse 10, because you have kept my commandment to persevere, this is a a very important word, persevere, continue on. Um, 
not mere patience, but continuing on. It, it is one reason that um, some disciplines of faith are helpful because it helps to have something to persevere in. We keep the faith. We keep with our prayers. We keep one of the advantages of, of, of liturgy is something to hold on to when you feel so dry you don't have anything to say. You hold on to that. You've kept my commandment to persevere, but again, here to, 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 to note that they have um, the persevering also is persevering in the discipline of love, of, 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 of loving others as we have been loved. So because you kept it, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, the hour of trial, um, in the context of Revelation, just seems to obviously mean the trial that's going to come with the judgment on Jerusalem, where there's going to be a lot of things happen as, as Rome descends upon the temple and destroys it. There's going to be a lot of persecution, a lot of outbreak of persecution. And ultimately, to, to Rome, there's not really a difference between a Jew and a Christian. In Philadelphia, if a Roman authority favored the synagogue against this upstart group meeting somewhere down the street, it was just to keep the peace. We give them that, we'll shut them off. But, but they were all pretty much the same, believing in like just only God or rejecting the gods which upon which the sort of Roman. So um, somehow it seems to be the promise here is that there's going to be a, a fairly widespread outbreak of trial in 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 what's coming and in the in the in the events that Revelation is referring to. But you in Philadelphia are going to be kept from it, you're, which means you're you're going to have some shielding from that trial. There's some, so it seems to be a somewhat localized promise, and we have to be careful because it certainly is no universal promise that people who have faithfully persevered will be kept from persecution or trial. So, it, it, but it, but there's a, a reward here because he sees them, knows them. I'm going to give you this. Um, and test those who dwell on the earth, that line, because we get to Revelation 12, um, there's war in heaven, and the devil is cast down. Uh, there's a distinction between uh, rejoicing you who dwell in the heavens, but woe to you who dwell on the earth. And, and part of the symbolism of Revelation is that because we are in Christ, we don't really dwell on the earth. We are seated, as Ephesians says, look at this passage a week or two ago. God has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our Easter epistle um, says, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when they say those who dwell on the earth, there's a at least a level of implication those whose lives are rooted here will be tested. 
11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Um, coming quickly, the main point I want to make about that is we've already looked at um, Revelation uh, 2 5, where, where um, he said, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. When he says, I'll, I'll come quickly, he wasn't talking about his second coming at the end of time. So when he says, I'm coming quickly, I, there's a sense in which some horizon, what he's saying is, is he will come and enact what he's saying to the church soon before he comes again at the end of time. So Jesus comes in ways that are not simply the end of time. And that's an important thing to remember when he says, I come to you quickly, because he comes and visits and judges in time, as an, which is an anticipation of the ultimate. And in a sense, for example, we gather for the Eucharist, he comes to us in a real way now, that anticipates the future. And part of the tension of the Christian life is the way those things are, are linked, the way that there's a sense in which we live in Christ and have this reality of God's presence of peace and joy, but a sense in which we don't fully have it yet. And so he comes, but he's coming fully at the end of time. Like we have confirmation bias, and we have a certain view of how everything's going to You can see how people so easily go astray. They think the rapture, this is like the rapture verse. Except, um, it makes no sense. Well, it doesn't. I, if, yeah. if you, because they would say, well, this is the, you know, but it makes no sense if you understand he's writing to, the, to a church in Philadelphia. Well, I guess they missed the boat. But they are the church in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. He, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. I know arriving him my new name. I think all these images are covenant images. So their standing is being called into question because they've been kicked out of the synagogue. And the promise is, you will be a pillar in the temple. And I will write my name on you so you're clear that you are my chosen people. And, um, and the name of the city of my God, the Jerusalem above, which is free, which, that's what they're a part of. So he's all these promises are are highlighting their participation and presence in the New Jerusalem as they've been kicked out of the Old Jerusalem. He who has near to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's interesting, again, for us all to take this to heart, 
interesting is the wrong word, um, significant, that um, the word of God, when he speaks it, you have ear to hear, I've, I've told you what I want, now do it. It's, we, we um, had some parenting materials once upon a time that gave some advice, always stuck with me. It says, don't, don't, um, if you tell your child to do something, don't count or don't say it again. You say it, if they don't do it, then you ask the consequence because you've spoken. And that's what God does. He doesn't say, okay, now, you can write another letter next week. Okay, did you really understand what I said? He says it and then expects us to respond to it. So it's really important when the word of God comes to us in the scriptures and also the way we understand it, that we, like, oh, yeah, I need to do this. Not like we treat earthly authorities that we blow off and think we'll get ten chances and don't really respect. God speaks, and that's the weeping and judgment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that Jesus talks about, I think will be related to, I didn't really know. You didn't tell me. Move on to Laodicea while we have time. To the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Amen means, you know, the, 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 the truth. Um, faithful and true witness in that Jesus has come to show us the Father. And what he's revealed to us about the Father is faithful and true. So we can hear it and, and accept his testimony as though it comes right from God. <clears throat> the beginning of the creation of God. We understand that the resurrection is the beginning of the new creation. Because in Genesis, God spoke and then the spirit moved over the waters to um, accomplish what the word had spoken. Let there be light, and there was light. And so, in the New Testament, as Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. And then the Spirit is sent on Pentecost, and this is the new creation now by God's word and by his spirit, that's the beginning of, of God's creation. I know your works, verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I know your works, and this is not a good thing here. <laughs> Um, now, most commentators point out something of geographically about Laodicea, that it was situated uh, between um, a place where there were cold mountain streams and, uh, and on the other side of it, a, a city noted for hot springs. 
and that the waters of these two things often converged to become lukewarm. And such lukewarm water was not good to drink if you weren't going to quench your thirst, and you couldn't really bathe in it. It wasn't really good for anything. And so the idea of lukewarmness here, it may have a sort of tepidness of faith that means it's just like, but it also means you're not really doing anything. You're just kind of there. Can't get, you don't quench the thirst, you don't refresh the, you're just bleh. And so because of that, you know, a good thing, I just think, if I, you have a drink of that water, you just go, yeah, I don't want that. Now, let's get to the bottom of the, of the um, case. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So, um, this is this church might be in parallel with the reputation church. You have a name, but you're dead. And now there's a wealthy church that that um, is really. And this is like the revelation here is the heavenly reality behind the earthly appearance. And we're going to get this throughout Revelation, because we're going to see next chapter and the chapter after the church seated in the heavenly places. Wow, they have crowns on thrones. But when you see them on earth, they're just the persecuted group that got kicked out of the synagogue. So here, the, the earthly reality is like, this looks really good. There are things going well, but the heavenly reality is different. <laughs> so, um, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, Laodicea had these three industries uh, banking, textile, and actually had. Uh, an ISAB uh, that, that was produced uh, there that was noteworthy. So he's playing off the things that they are rich with and saying, get get some real gold, get some better clothes, and um, open your eyes to see. Um, it's this The forever reality that wealth is always a temptation, not because um, it is an inherently bad thing, because it, but, but because it always tempts us to trust in it and to become comfortable in it rather than to trust God. So it's one reason that tithing and almsgiving is not just about what people get, but it's also about how we continually dispossess ourselves and try to live, try to at least cultivate some practice of letting go. And when it's at least sacrificial, there's some sense of, okay, I'm rather than just, you know, because in our world, we're so into the security of, okay, enough money, got insurance policy. Uh, if this happens, this will happen. And we get all wired and 
uh, and again, it's not even that you shouldn't have insurance to your family survives, something happens. It's that that becomes the thing you trusted, and then you know, and and then it it when it begins to, and and I think the other thing I, I realized is too when when that happens. As we grow older, people have a hard time letting go of it. They don't age as gracefully because they're like, oh, what? this is like, but, and, and we forget that, that aging is really a grace that teaches us to let go of a life that can't be kept. And that's very countercultural, but it fits right in with what Jesus is saying to the churches. Learn to let go. Why? Because you you literally can't hold on. You can try to, but it. So that's why he said, get some real clothes, the the, the wedding garment, um, some gold, the treasures in heaven, and open eyes to see the Lord. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. What's interesting, too, here is these are um, messages that that broadly are published, but he doesn't say, okay, I want you to sell half what you have. I want to do this. I mean, everyone's got to think of what's wrong. You know, so we have to hear this message and understand what does it mean for me? To um, to repent and to be, to dispossess myself of, of these things, I trust in a little bit more. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Now, this image uh, is a pretty popular one in the in Christian tradition. Uh, it seems to, you know, the, the door image is used a lot of places, but to my searching, not too many places where Jesus is outside the door knocking on it. He is the door, I am the door who opens. Um, and uh, the voice uh, does seem to harken back to the Good Shepherd passage. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So if he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And it suggests that that they're trusting in their, their wealth and place is keeping Jesus outside. And this seems to be a very Eucharistic implication of this. That comes also from the from 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 the the, the, the uh, John's Gospel, which which has a similar horizon here, um, similar theme. Uh, John six fifty four. Um, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of the blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Um, he eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. So it suggests that, because clearly the Laodiceans are gathering for the Eucharist, but it suggests that somehow 
their, their preoccupation with wealth is keeping Jesus outside of it. So if you hear my voice, open the door and change that we might have real communion. And and so I think there's an image there. It also gives a cross-reference. What's it say there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me do that work for you? Yeah. <laughs> 12, 30 what? 12, 36, and 7. Let um, your waist be girded. Lamps burning in yourself like men who wait for the master to return from the wedding. Blessed are those servants. So it's 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 thematically applicable, but hardly a, a, a direct cross reference. So, because um, this, he's telling in Luke, be faithful. Least on these guys repent. So this 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 group needs a change. They're not watching. They need to they need to start watching. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, to rule with me, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Which seems to be an indication of real power as opposed to sort of faux power that is is um, implied in the preoccupation with God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I, I think that these letters, you know, there's something that I think we should bear in mind and spend probably just in our own personal reflections on our lives more time with. Because if, if we understand that... Um, Revelation is primarily, well, in the first instance, talking about the judgment on God's unfaithful covenant people. It's largely because they have refused to hear his word and receive it. So it's interesting it begins here with a word to his new covenant people, telling them that to be his new covenant people, it's not something to become comfortable with, but you have to continually hear his voice. If when we start listening to the voice and hearing him and living in, in relationship with his word, we fall into all these various temptations, whether it be, you know, the, the, the sort of religious and moral compromise, whether it be the wealth, whether it be comfortable reputation, whether whatever it might be. And that's why the, the, the point to continually hearing the word of God is such a significant thing. Now, we'll pick up next week. Um, we'll be at Easter. Just feel better. Um, we'll do um, chapter four. And I want you to notice that um, uh, the scene is going to move from the word to the churches. There's going to be a door in heaven. He's going to say, come up here. And I just want you to see the parallel between this and the church's liturgy of the Eucharist, where there's a liturgy of the word, like we just had to the churches, and then there's, you know, lift up your heart, we lift them up, and therefore the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, the liturgy situates us in Revelation 4 and 5, just as this is situated here. So this is 
really set in the context of worship and, and where we're positioned for that. We'll pick that up next week. Let us pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Westminster Abbey. Huh? In Westminster Abbey, um, there's a beautiful painting of Jesus standing outside the door. You think they'll open the door there too? I know there are faithful people. Yeah, I think he is. I think he is standing at the door, knocking there. Indeed. Yes. You said the